All right, we are in James. We are now in chapter 5. As you guys are turning there, we're in chapters, chapter 5, 1 through 6. Um, our, our sermon this morning is entitled, Living by the Numbers, uh, The Danger of Self-Centeredness. And um, just by way of foundation, some verses that I want to give you and also some facts that I came along before we jump into our text this morning. First, uh, Hebrews thirteen five says this, Keep your life free. From the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And First Timothy th- uh, 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, there's a book that came out a couple of years ago called God and Money. And there's interesting statistic in there about giving, about this heart of radical generosity that we're called to in the scripture. Very American Christians have an annual combined income of over $5 trillion. And if we donated just 0.2% of our income in one year, this is what could be accomplished. We could sponsor 1 million indigenous full-time missionaries in poor nations around the world. We could quadruple the global missions budget for reaching unevangelized nations. We could triple the global Bible translation budget fund 150,000 seminary scholarships for promising students in emerging economies, establish eight new Christian universities around the world, hire 25,000 additional American missionaries to work on our college campuses with just a tiny fraction of what the Lord has given to us in order to invest into the kingdom of God. And so today our text is talking to those who would want to um, hold on to everything the Lord has blessed us with uh, for our own gain and simply for our own gain. A couple of quotes that I want you to hear because in this life, isn't it easy to believe that if only, I mean, I have what I have, but if only I had just a little bit more, then I'd be okay. If only I could make just a little bit more, if only I I got a windfall, if only I could have just a little bit more in the bank, I would feel a little bit more secure, and then I would finally be okay. But some of these people who are famous for the fortunes that they made, listen to what they have to say. Vanderbilt said this, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Um, Rockefeller said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie says, millionaires seldom smile. And Henry Ford says, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Just imagine. But yet we still convince ourselves, maybe I'm different. Maybe if I acquired this, maybe if I had this, I would be different. Right? So our text in a nutshell today is this. Jesus said that you cannot serve both God and money. In this passage, James gives a sharp warning to all who would choose to live for wealth. It's the ultimate expression of self-centeredness, and it leaves us blind to the needs of those around us. So let's read our text together. This is James 5, 1 through 6. 
Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Can I just level with you? This is a tough text, everyone. Right? There's a lot here, and my goal today is that we leave here just a little bit more like Jesus, understanding how we would have a relationship with a gift that he's given us in order to get the things we need, in order to invest in the kingdom, and at the same time, that it wouldn't be ultimate, that money would not be the primary things in our lives, that we would see him above all else in our lives. So our three points today are these. Don't waste your life. Point number two will be entitled Exhibit A. And point number three is, are you Hensel or Gretel? So point number one, don't waste your life. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. He starts by saying, come now. It's the same way he started our, our, our verses from last week. So we have been building this argument all through James. And I want you to kind of follow this with me for a minute. So uh, first, at the end of chapter 3, he finally is starting to wrap up what true wisdom is and that we would have true wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, which is earthly and unspiritual and demonic, but the wisdom from above which is peaceable and open to reason and pure and full of good fruits he says this is the type of wisdom and the reason that we are are to have but then in chapter four it says this so why do we fight because we want things that we don't get them he says you should ask god with pure motives instead of of looking to people to satisfy your heart then he goes on to say don't go making plans to provide for your own desires and trying to bypass god's will And then he says, if you do acquire the material things you've been chasing after, don't live for them. Don't just accumulate more. So we've gone this way. We've gone for self-righteousness. Then we've gone last week after self-sufficiency. And today we're talking about self-centeredness. But you notice the common word in all of those, self. And we are so um, naturally bent towards looking out for number one, as we say. Is that not true? So he says, come now, you rich. So now we turn our attention to the one who did not go to God for his needs. He did indeed go to such and such a town and buy and sell for a year, and he did make that profit. But now what? In James's Old Testament prophetic fashion, he says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's like James is saying, listen, I've been trying to warn you for all of these chapters. And now he's not simply addressing, however, people with money. I want you to know that. This is not simply when people have money at their disposal. This is a type of heart that he is addressing. These are ones who have placed their trust in riches. They find their identity in their wealthy lifestyle and can't imagine living in a way, any other way than that. Those who serve money and not the Lord and those who have grown their wealth possibly in sinful ways. And he says there are miseries that are coming. It says, 
Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. I think what's interesting about this verse is every other warning we've been given so far in James, there's been an out. There's been a call to repentance or a way that you ought to live instead. Here, there's a finality to it. So this is addressing those that possibly have said, you know, I have staked my claim. I have decided I have thrown in my lot in the direction that I want to go. I am going to look for as much as I can get, and this is what I want over the Lord himself. So there's, there's nothing about repentance in this verse, which is very interesting. There's something that feels a little hopeless if read you know, just by itself. This passage pronounces judgment only. And I see a number of clear purposes for this passage. One, to call out those who serve money in place of God. Two, to warn others not to envy a lifestyle that looks so enticing from the outside. And to encourage those being taken advantage of by powerful and rich people that judgment is coming. Right? So in verse 2, it says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. So riches in that day would have looked like this. It would have looked like produce, right? Livestock, maybe precious metals, fine fabrics or clothing. And all of these things are things that can waste away. Here are some examples of things that have rotted away. Right, So Jesus talks about moth and rust corrupting. And so you see, if you've ever left clothing, you know, maybe in storage for a season, when you go to get it out, and there's holes in, those clo- in that clothing. You know, um, it's funny because precious metals, gold and silver, they don't necessarily corrode. But there's something a little deeper here we'll see in the next verse that's more about the fact that they will eventually become useless, right, when the Lord returns. But all of these things, you're putting your hope in the fact that I have plenty. I have what I need, and I don't have to depend on anyone or anything. And that last one is intentionally left blank, because Jesus did say you don't want to store things up where thieves can break in and steal. So you can just fill in the blank there. What would have been in there? It's gone, because a thief stole it, right? Very unwise. You don't want that in your life. (laughs) So it says your riches have rotted away. And just think, imagining with such affluence that we forget what we even had. Have you ever gone to the grocery store and got certain groceries and then forgot that you bought it, right? So the next time you go grocery shopping, you come back and you open up the meat drawer or the vegetable drawer and you look to put your stuff in and you say, oh my, apparently I bought cabbage and now it's wasted, it's spoiled. Or apparently I bought a half a pound of boar's head turkey or whatever and now it's spoiled, it's no good. I can't eat it. Can you imagine that we are in such a place in our lives we forget that we have food? right? Do we, we kind of realize just how affluent, how well off that is. And he's saying like, your, your stuff is spoiling. You have so much that you don't even know what you have anymore. And this, we'll see in a moment, it's evidence against uh, the rich, the wealthy that would say, I'm not going to share with anyone. This is all for me. So much that I can't even possibly use it all. I'm not saying that if you waste eight ounces of boar's head turkey, you're sinning. Okay? Please don't think that. You don't, you know, you don't have to repent of that today or anything. Um, but I am saying that earthly possessions do not last. They do not endure. James says, you've chosen to put your trust in things, and those things eventually will become worthless. 
You've traded endless joy for what has now become a pile of garbage, right? It's been a lack of trust in the Lord from the beginning. Whenever we accumulate to ourselves more than we need, there is such a heart of mistrust towards the Lord. Yes, he's been good to us in the past, and yes, he has provided us for us in the past, but if I don't hold on to this, what if he's not tomorrow? Right? And it goes all the way back to Exodus 16 when the Lord provides manna in the wilderness for the first time. Right, So manna is this flaky honey wafer. I like everything I just said. Right, So it's this delicious thing that covers the ground every day and you can cook with it and you can fry it. You can do whatever you want with it. But he's t- the Lord tells Moses, tell them only enough to take for one day. Only take enough for one day. Don't take enough for two days because whatever's left over tomorrow is going to spoil. And what do the people do? They take enough for tomorrow. And what happens? It says here in Exodus 16, 19 through 20, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. That is the human heart. God has provided today, and he's told them, I will provide again tomorrow. And they say, but what if he doesn't? I better hold on to some. I better take more than I need just in case. And this is the same heart that James is addressing now, whether it's accumulating food or accumulating clothing and cloth and uh, precious metals that you don't need more than you could possibly need to provide for yourself and your family. It's going to spoil. When you wake up tomorrow, it's going to be nothing. You've accumulated so much you can't even use it and now it's wasted and you are left with nothing. That's why the the, the name of this first point is don't waste your life. Because in essence, if you've given everything you can just to have these things and then they spoil and then they rust and then they're stolen and then they're useless, you've wasted your life. Matthew 6, 19-21, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do break in and steal. Do do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that first point was, don't waste your life. The second point is, exhibit A, verses 3 and 4. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The rot, the moth-eaten garment, the ruined gold and silver serve as evidence in the courtroom against the self-centered and wealthy. To sit on such excess to the point of waste. It's exhibit A. To be so disconnected with what you have that you don't even realize what's there. It's wasting away, exposes the heart in a very clear way. It says, I don't trust God. It says, I don't care to be generous. It says, I believe I am the owner of all of the stuff that's under my stewardship. And it says, I would rather waste my belongings. I would rather waste it than to give it away. And this is a major problem. It's a question you have to ask yourself. With what you have, do you think of it? There's two ways to think of it. Is it, I have this and how much do I have to give away? Or is it, this is all God's and how much do I need to keep? Those are two very important questions to ask ourselves. Do we honestly believe that everything in our lives belongs to the Lord himself, that it's a gift from him? Do we believe that truly? And do we live that way? 
And if this is your heart, and be honest, your heart needs to change, and my heart needs to change. And I believe that I'm talking to a, a large number of us, right? We are in a society where this is the norm. Just get as much as you can, and whoever dies with the most toys wins. And we kind of chuckle at those kinds of phrases, but we've accepted them. We've accepted in the way we think, into the way that we live, and we can compartmentalize, can't we, to say, you know what, I know this is what Scripture says, I know I'm supposed to trust the Lord with my life, I know I should be just radically generous with what I have, but this is America, and this is what everybody does, and everybody around me lives this way, can it really be that bad to just keep a little extra for myself that maybe I don't need? This is a major problem. So ask yourself this question, if you had more money than you needed, what would you do with it? How does your mind flood? Like, what comes into your mind? I would. And that's a really good little litmus test for your heart. You know, when we talk about generosity, I consider going out to eat with little children. You know, it depends. Wherever you go, you know, you order off the adult menu, and you get something that you think you wanted, right? You get something, and you start to eat it, and then your kid's chicken strips arrive, and you again go through the mental thing of saying, you know what, why don't I ever just get the chicken strips? Because this is the best looking thing on the entire table. And you watch them take them for granted. And then they drop one. And then they spill some tea on one. And you're like, this is, don't waste it. I'm here. I am here. Right? And then finally you'll say, hey, can I have some? And, and wait, it's like, pinch right? That's the way we give sometimes. And you, say, you know what? Never mind. I don't even want it. It's not even worth it. And you know what gets you the whole time? It's all mine anyway. I paid for it. I can have that if I want it, right? And that's how we are with generosity, right? It's all God's anyway. And sometimes we can say, okay, you can pry a couple quarters out of my hand. Okay, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give. It's all God's anyway. It's not even ours. And he's calling us to this heart of generosity. There is so much more peace and so much more joy in realizing that everything belongs to him. In Luke 12, 13 through 21, a man comes to Jesus. And he says this, so it says that someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care to be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In essence, the same heart. This man might as well have said, you know what? Today or tomorrow, I will go to such and such a town and I will buy and I will sell and I will make trade. And after a year, I will make this much profit. This man says, you know what? In this parable, he says, you know what? I've made so much, doesn't even cross his mind to say, I can share. I have a lot here. He says, I'm going to break down these barns because they're not big enough. I'm going to break down these barns. I'm going to fill new, larger barns with all my stuff. Then I'm going to chill for a while because I have everything I need. And the Lord says, you know what? You fool. 
Today, your soul's going to be required. What are you going to do with these barns? Who's going to be left with having to divide this all up and take it where it should have gone in the first place, right? It's a heart of keeping for ourselves rather than a heart of giving. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You know, Scripture is full of assurances that the Lord has special care for the poor, for the hurting, for the downtrodden, for the oppressed. And uh, in Isaiah 1, we hear this. It says, seek to do justice, learn to do good. It says, stop coming and waving your hands around and worshiping and bringing, you know, bringing things to the temple. Who's even asked you to trample my course like this? You know what? Your heart doesn't even show that you love anybody. Your heart doesn't even show a heart of generosity. How could it be that you love me when this is even evident, right? Don't put the, the trappings of worship ahead of just living a loving Christian life towards God and towards neighbor. And so it says here, the, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, which also is Lord of armies. So this is describing the Lord in such a way that there is vengeance coming for those who show no love and do not try to help others. How miserable then would it be to be the one found in causing that pain, in causing that level of hurting towards others. So the first one was Exhibit A. The second was um, oh, the first one was, sorry, don't waste your life. The second was Exhibit A. And this third point is this. Are you Hansel or Gretel? Okay, you guys know the story, right, of Hansel and Gretel. And so these brother and sister, they go into the forest and they leave the breadcrumbs so they can find their way out. But they happen upon this cottage made of delicious candy at other tasty sugary treats, right? And they just start to eat. They're eating and eating and eating and they find out we've been trapped there's an evil witch that owns this cottage and she's fattening us up so she can eat us. She's giving us everything we want so she can just eat us. And this is a terrible story, but it says you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So I want you to ask yourself this question. How much is enough? I'm going to ask you that question through this final point a couple of times. Kind of drive it home. Because I'm not going to give you an answer there. Because I think you need to deal with that. I think we all need to deal with that. How much is enough? So let's just own it. It's hard to think in these terms in the most prosperous country, right? Probably in the history of the world. How much is enough? And we can easily compartmentalize because surely I'm not the one expected to put aside the American dream for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right? I'm not throwing away my shot. Right? Storing up treasure for our own purposes, James says, is preparing for the day of slaughter. Think of a turkey. Right? And a turkey farm. Think of the months coming up to Thanksgiving. Right? I don't know what they feed turkeys, but like turkey chow. Like they're, they're throwing it out. Right? They're throwing out this whatever it is turkeys eat. And the turkeys are clamoring like, I got to get as much of this as I can. They're like, oh, enough for everyone. Eat up, turkey. And they're just eating, right? They're eating the food. They're just loving it. But the entire time, they have no idea. They are the primary actor in their preparation for their own slaughter. Every bite they take makes them more valuable, right? For the time they get their head cut off and sold at Publix or Winn-Dixie. Sorry, kids. All right. So... <laughs> 
they're not just complicit, they're the primary mover. Live it up, says James. But as you are doing so, remember, you're investing in your own destruction. With every selfish decision we make, every time you ignore the need of, that you can meet, when you convince yourself that it's perfectly okay to make your major life decisions motivated exclusively by finances, you're preparing yourself for your own destruction. Ask yourself, how much is enough? I remember when Jody and I were first married, just how important my little jazz trumpet gigs were to us. I mean, they were diapers, right? You know, I needed, I remember one time going to a gig and thinking, I'm going to stop at Food Lion. Remember Food Lion? I'm going to stop at Food Lion and buy some diapers when I get paid from this gig. And I remember playing this terrible four-hour gig. It probably paid 100 bucks or something. And I'm waiting around afterwards like, okay. All right, let me get that money now. And when it was finally, everyone had cleared out, the, the band leader came and said, hey, let me get your address. I'll send you a check. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, are you for real right now? You know, that is huge. Look at this. You have lived, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Oh, sorry, verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And you have laid up treasure in the last days, totally disconnected, not even understanding that this is a need, having so much that it wouldn't even occur to you someone else doesn't have so much, right? One person is waiting and really looking forward to the fact that the payment's coming. They work, they labor in a field all day and say, I'm going to get my payment tonight. But the landowner says, you know what? I'm busy. I got a lot of things on my list of things to do. It's just this much money. I'll do it tomorrow. What a heart. What a selfish, self-centered heart, right? And this is the picture of those who, who, who choose wealth over, and luxury over Christ. Verse 6, you can either love God and others or you can love money and self. I think it's important to see this. Jesus says in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In the pursuit of even greater ease, wealth, and luxury, it's all too easy to lose touch with the needs and the well-being of others. James says you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. And how is this? This is a sin of omission, right? If you know that there's a need and you fail to do it, what does James say at the, at the close of our text from last week? He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. If you are aware of a need and you have everything you need to do it, you're like, huh, someone else will take care of it. It says you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. It's like saying, you know, you don't know what's going to come if a person can't eat, if a person doesn't have a roof over their head. But he's saying to those who would say, everything I have is mine and I'm not trying to help anyone, that could, it's almost like condemning that person because you have the power to help. And at the extremes, it's like murdering that person. It's showing hatred for that person to not have any desire to help. So when you turn away from someone's needs, in a way you take part in, 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 in condemning that person to his or her fate. And the question is not, let's check our hearts on this, how did he wind up here in the first place? That's not the question when someone is in need. Well, I mean, you've made a series of bad decisions. I mean, you don't, you know, why do you want help now? The question at that point is what does a person need now in this moment? Earlier on in James 2, it says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
Cannot faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. When Jesus poured his grace out on us, did he take into account whether or not we deserved it? He did not. Praise the Lord, he did not, because not a one of us does. Poor beggars that he bestowed his grace on. Thankfully, he did not ask that question. So this is a call to radical, Christ-exalting generosity because we have been freely, we have freely received. We should freely give. And that is only possible, it is only possible to live a life of giving where other people will look out and say, what are you even doing? Why are you living in such a different way? It is only possible because our sin nature has been atoned for in the person of Jesus Christ, that the Lord created a world that he said was very good, but not very far in. Humans decided to sin, which created sin in this world. And every other person to be born ever since has been tainted by sin and this natural bent toward ourselves. And rightfully and righteously, what we deserve is condemnation in a very real place called hell. But God, being rich in mercy, he sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life on this earth, the life that you and I could never live, to die a death on the cross that you and I deserve to die, to rise three days later, conquering sin and death in the grave. And he says, come to me, repent of your sin, follow me, and I'll turn that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I'll give you new life. We'll be sons and daughters of God. Follow Jesus, that he would be the ultimate treasure in your life. You cannot serve both God and money. Let him be the ultimate treasure in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you um, first loved us. And I pray that you would allow us to see your beauty, that there is nothing in this world that compares to knowing you, the surpassing riches of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I pray for these folks today as we now... um, reaffirm our ultimate dependence on the cross of Jesus Christ as we, as we take communion, that you would just give us hearts of gratitude today as we worship you through this time. In Jesus' name, amen.